Well, I am fired up to preach today. Man, I've got my Fitbit on. I'm going to go ahead and just start my activity tracker and burn some calories. I told Crystal all week, I'm, I'm just excited to preach today. Uh, the Lord's put a message on my heart. I'm just, I'm just burdened. And uh, I hope that you'll be into it and, and, and be tracking. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. You know, I think prayer is an active deal, uh, and, and I'm not uh, gifted in and of myself. We, I need the Spirit. So if you would just pray with and for me while we move through uh, the words that the Lord has for us today, I would so appreciate it. I love the church. I love what it stands for. I love the message of the church, the gospel message that is entrusted to us to share and, and, and spread. But we share other messages. We share a lot in the church, and the ways that we share our messages uh, are, are quite varying. We have uh, preaching and announcements, and if you're a part of our church, you get a lot of emails, and we share in videos and social media and church bulletins and church signs. I love church signs. It's one of the ways that, that churches convey messages. So I thought today we'd just share some of these messages that churches share. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. It's a classic a lot of us have seen. The next, blessing of pets. Y'all seen these, these blessing of pets? Love it. Bring your dog or your cat or whatever. And a lawn chair, Sunday, September 24th. And next, choose the bread of life or you are toast. I really like that. We've got to get more creative out here with our church signs. I really like that from Grace Baptist Church. Trust in God, but lock your car. Let's be realistic here. Let's tell it like it is. The next one, this is so appropriate. No matter who's president, Jesus is king. Amen? Yes, we need that message. The Lord is on the throne. And finally, if God didn't create anything without a purpose, but mosquitoes come close. That is true as well. I love the church. So we're talking about the church today. And in fact, the, the, the title of the sermon is Church Reimagined. God's vision for a connected community. Maybe some things said today, and you're like, I've heard that. I've grown up in church. I've heard that so much. But we have got to be reminded and come back to the mission of the church, our identity as a church, and the habits that will get us to where we need to be. We have a vision statement at Landmark. We say it all the time. Our vision is to be a community that shows the love of Jesus to people experiencing life struggles. I love that word, community. It's kind of a, a popular buzzword in churches today, and we say it a lot, but I don't want the meaning of that word community to be lost on us today. So it's defined in our dictionaries as a, a group of people with a common characteristic or an interest living together within a larger society. Or second, a group of men or women leading a common life according to a rule. No matter how you define community, the root word is common. So we as the church, as the people of God, as He has intended us to be, we have some things that we have to have in common to function and be who He wants us to be. We have some things in common that are non-negotiable. Our identity as the people of God, we'll talk about. Our mission, where are we going? And then our rhythms, uh, our daily habits that make us the church. But first and foremost... What we have in common is Jesus Christ. He is our common pursuit. 
your first blank today. He is our common pursuit. He trumps, no political pun intended, everything. All Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, testifies of Jesus. The Father exalts Him. The Spirit magnifies Him. The angels worship Him. He was the passion of the early church. There is nothing worth pursuing outside of Christ. I love what's said in, a, in a, one of my favorite books, Jesus Manifesto, by a couple guys named Lynn Sweet and Frank Viola. They say, once our eyes are open to see the incredible richness and captivating beauty of Jesus, either our other pursuits will take a back seat or we will discover them anew and afresh in the light of His glory and grace. Now listen up. Like Paul, we will be apprehended, ambushed, and arrested by Christ. What a beautiful picture. That's what we want. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for our church to be ambushed and arrested by Christ, to be ruined by Him. Colossians 3.11, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures today. The, the Word says it so well. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul says it well. I love that. And for the church in this diverse world, and in the diverse church, no matter our skin color, no matter our background, no matter our gifting, no matter how much money we make, Christ is our all. We hold Him in common. Okay? Philippians 3, 7-9, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Paul had this incredible heritage as the all-star of Pharisees. He, he's just gone through in Philippians 3 this long list of things that he would say give him reasons to put confidence in his own flesh. Okay? He, again, just a, a, a star. Uh, as for keeping the law just full of enthusiasm and zeal, he was ad admired by all the Pharisees and the Jews. Well known. Okay? But he says all that's garbage compared to gaining Christ. I want to pursue Christ, Paul says. He says it's the only thing worth pursuing. It's all that he wanted to be about. Jesus Christ is our common pursuit. We have to establish that. If Jesus is not our common pursuit as a body, then we are truly just a collection of individuals. There is no community. He is our common pursuit. That which binds us together is our direction, our passion, He's the only thing that will last. So we read all over Scripture about uh, community, and, and we're, Jeremy's right, we're singing songs today uh, about being together and about being one and about being the body, a community. But what does it really mean to be a community, and why is it so important? Why is it near to the heart of God? I want to talk about that for just a second. And for us as the church to discover our biblical purpose, we have to look beyond ourselves to see God's story. And where God's story starts for us today probably starts with a question, who is God? A fundamental question, who is God? And we may answer this way, that He is the one true God whose nature is community. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, yet one in three. And, and, and listen, we're not going to unpack the Trinity. We're not going to spend a lot of time. But because when I try to do that, I don't know about you, it's just so, like, I don't get very far. When I try to just really uh, let my mind marinate on, the, on the, the, the beauty and the wonder of the Trinity, that, that there's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but yet they're, they're one. It's, it's difficult to comprehend, but it's this beautiful truth in Scripture, and it teaches us a lot. It reveals to us about our own existence as the church. Now hang with me. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The Lord says, Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. Okay, so it wasn't just the Father. You had the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And, and Scripture teaches us that there was this beautiful relationship within God, this incredible community of eternal love. And so when, when the Lord says, Let us make man in our own image, He's talking about us, the church, that He desires for us to have the same intimacy and oneness and togetherness and connection and community that He has with Himself. Got that? It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it teaches us about who we are. And what it means is that community, this buzzword, is not just something trendy. It's not just something that God thinks is a good idea. It is His very nature. He is a community of love himself, and he desires for us to be the same. So God's passion was to see this this, uh, community of love multiply. He wanted to be in relationship with us as the community of God. But mankind did not embrace this vision, did we? Instead of embracing this vision of intimacy and love with God and with one another, we have chosen to go our own way. And we have chosen a a, a selfish route that has broken that fellowship. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden, and it has continued for centuries upon centuries as we have gone our our own way. And it has led to separation from God and separation from one another. That cycle of sin and selfishness has been passed down from generation to generation. And that brings us today to the crisis of individualism that we're born into, this crisis of individualism, this crisis of me-first living. Individualism is a way of life that makes the individual and his or her needs, wants and desires, supreme over everything else. And church, we've seen individualism seep into the life of the body of Christ. It's not just a, a, a worldly problem out there. It has come into the church. It has come into our church. Okay? And it's evidenced in disunity and petty arguments and the have it your way or me first or me church mentality. It's seen in our lack of commitment to the body. Our, ch- our, our church as a spectator sport mindset. It's seen in cliques within our churches. It's seen in racial divides our lack of diversity. It's seen in our church hopping. It's seen in our church wars. It's seen this culture, this crisis of individualism in our criticism of other churches. It's rampant. It's alive and well. And it has to stop. Amen? Individualism has no place in Christian community. And it has no place here. Again, unfortunately, we've been born into that culture of individualism. But we as the body of Christ 
have the responsibility to flip the script. It has to start now. Today's church must no longer be a collection of individuals. It must be a connected community, knit together by a common passion and pursuit of Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to take a look at the things that the church has in common, the things that we have to be on the same page about. Yes, I know we're diverse. And I don't want you to hear today that I'm saying that everybody has to be the same and always think the same and have the same opinions. That's not what the Lord is talking about. But there are some non-negotiables that we have to have in common. We're going to look at the common identity of the church. We're going to look at the common mission, that, that, he is, that which He has called all of us to. And we're going to look at the common rhythms of the church. All these verses, and the best way I know to do this is we're going to go through the Word today, okay? And, and we're going to go rather quickly. You can page through your own Bible if you want. All the verses are going to be on the screen. But hang with me first. The church shares a common identity. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. It says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in His Spirit. So there's some different things going on there. There's some different images that we want to draw forth. That we are the family of God. That we're all together in the household of faith. And this house that we all live in, the chief cornerstone, the foundation, the one that fits it all together, the one that makes life work, is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. We all live together in this. And it says that we are the dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The Lord doesn't reside in a temple anymore. He's not in some mobile tent. He's in us. He's not in 1800 Halcyon. He's in us, the people of God. We're the dwelling place of God. Guys, we host the presence of God. If that doesn't move you, I don't know what will. What an incredible honor to host the presence of God. He dwells in us. It's part of our identity. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. There it is again. Paul is like, we're diverse. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we are the, there's another image, we're the body of Christ. We are one body, baptized by one spirit. So this scripture speaks to our intended unity and and oneness as well. But it also speaks to our uniqueness. It speaks to our diversity. Because a body has many parts. It proves that no matter our race or our social status or our background or gifting, again, we are a part of the body, and being different is part of the beauty of the church. We all bring different gifts, and that's what makes the body work. It's an incredible design, and again, it's just like God Himself. Just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have different roles, so we have different giftings and roles within the church that set the glory of the Lord on display. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says that we are chosen. He says that we are royalty. What does that mean, that we are royalty? I love that word, but what does it mean? I believe it means that we're adopted into the family of God. That He has pulled up a seat to His table and said, You belong here. You belong at my table. Here's your room. You belong in my house. I have adopted you. You used to be a foreigner and an alien. You used to be separated. I have now brought you near by the blood of Christ. You belong to me. And because you belong to me, you now receive all the benefits of being a son or a daughter of mine, of the king. Because I'm the king and you are royalty. So you share in the inheritance of my son, Jesus Christ. We are royalty. We are chosen. He says that we are holy. We're set apart. We're different. Part of the identity of the church, guys, is that we are distinct from the rest of the world. That we are called out. That we don't conform. We don't blend in anymore. People walk into this place and they talk with us around town. They say, what's up with those people? They are strange. But I want what they have. We are holy. He says we're God's special possession. And the King James says that we are a peculiar people. But I love that translation, special possession. I believe it. I, when you were a kid, you remember when you would uh, have show and tell as an elementary student. And you would think about what was that, 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 that thing that you just prized over anything else that, that belonged to you. And you'd take that to school and you would show it off. You'd talk about it. And, and if you were a sharing kind of kid, you'd let your friends share with it. You wanted it to, to cause enjoyment for, for everybody in your class. We are on display of the Lord. We are His special possession. We're His favorite thing. He's proud of it. He wants everyone else to see it and enjoy it. We're treasured above all other creation, reflecting His goodness, testifying His love, His special possession. So the church shares a common identity. Secondly, the church shares a common mission. A common mission, Matthew 22 Starting in verse 37, you've heard it. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. So, he's, so Jesus has been asked, What is the greatest commandment? What's, of all the 600 and so odd commands, what's the most important? And he, and he quotes the Shema. You, you remember the Shema. The Shema was uh, what was central to Jewish life. It's probably the first prayer that, that little Jewish children were taught to say. It's probably that which families wrote on the doorposts of their homes and wrote on the gates of the city. It's what they talked about when they walked along the road and when they laid down to go to sleep and at mealtimes. And the kids knew it. It was central to who they were. Hear, O Israel, Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all you got. But then Jesus amends the Shema when he's asked about the greatest command. He said the second is like it, or equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. In Leviticus 19, 18, which is somewhat kind of tucked away. You know, the, the Jews knew the law, but they didn't, they didn't talk about that like they talked about love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we kind of get the love God, we get that. Love, honor God, obey God, worship God, but love your neighbor. What's that all about? Does anybody remember? It's not a rhetorical question. I want somebody to answer. When Jesus was asked in Luke 10, who's my neighbor? How did he respond? Does anybody remember? He told a story. 
the story of the Good Samaritan. And I got to tell you, that story just hits me between the eyes. The point is that part of our mission, our calling as the people of God, is to love big, but not just to love the people that are easy to love, not just to love the people that we're comfortable with. Andrew talked about it in his Lord's Supper thoughts around the table. We've been entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. Not just reconciling others to God, but reconciling men to each other. So when we're called to love our neighbor, that pushes us outside of our comfort zones. That breaks down the the boundaries. It tears down the walls. We love those who seem to be outlandishly opposite of us. Those who are different than us. The outcasts, the marginalized, the lonely, the invisible, the forgotten. The enemy, the offender, the other political party, the criminal, the one who is not in your normal social circle, the one that you have to go out of your way to love, the one that you wouldn't normally invite over to dinner, the one who doesn't share any of your opinions on social or political issues. You're called to love them, truly love them. I went to a conference this, this uh, past week with Al called Catalyst, Al Crosby, and I went together, had just a great time. The Lord did so many great things, so many great discussions. The theme of the, of, the, of the conference, oddly enough for me, it was just such a divine thing, was Uncommon Fellowship. It was just such a, a beautiful conference on, on fellowship and oneness. But one of the speakers defined Uncommon Fellowship, don't miss this, as head-turning, jaw-dropping, never-would-have-imagined-it association. This was the fellowship of the early church. It is and must be the fellowship of the church in 2016. Uncommon. The body of Christ must be marked by this kind of uncommon fellowship and love. Because heaven's going to be full, church, I believe it, of, of people that did not ever grasp or get, for whatever reason, some of the, the theological concepts that we've grown up with and hold so dear, and I'm not knocking those. I, I love my heritage. I love theology. But heaven's going to be full of people that didn't get that, but they loved. Because the Lord said the most important thing is to love. And they love big. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a sidebar, but Jesus says in the beginning, He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when I ask you, how much authority does the enemy have? None. The enemy has no authority. It has all been reclaimed because of the sacrifice, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Death has been defeated. The enemy has no more authority other than that which we give him. That is good news. But we easily forget that our job as the church is to make disciples. That's what it's about. C.S. Lewis says it's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw men to Christ, to make them little Christs. 
If they are not doing that, everything else is a waste of time. God became a man for no other purpose. How easily we forget, because church is something we come to, that our mission is to be about making disciples. We minimize that too often. But also this word go in the Great Commission. We are meant to be a church on the move. And this is going to step on some toes. We are not meant to do church in the comfort of our own pews. The church is mobile. It's purposeful. It is on the move. We're commanded to go. I love what author and pastor Randy Frazee says. He says, our command is not to go to church, but to be the church. Our marching orders are not come and see, but go and be. We won't multiply if we just invite them here. And I love what we do here. Don't get me wrong, I love it. A lot of thought and, and preparation and planning goes into these assemblies, and it's important to the, to the Lord. Now, we love it. Everything we do on Wednesdays, Sundays, every other day of the week is great. The church is meant to go. We won't in, multiply if we just invite them here. We have to go there. We have to get out of the pews, get into our neighbors' homes, to get into the schools, into the streets, wherever the Lord's working. Now, Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to highlight that word witness. In Acts 4, Peter and John are preaching. And they're stirring it up. They're talking about Jesus. And specifically, they're talking about the resurrection. And so they're apprehended and they're held. And the people are like, i got to be quiet about Jesus. But what it says is because of their courage in verse 12, it was recognizable that these men, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. Something about them not just their words. There's something about them that let everybody else know those are the guys that have been with Jesus. Those are the guys that the Lord likes to hang around. If you want that to be said of you and me. But later on in the chapter, the Sanhedrin realizes they've got to let him go. They say, y'all got to shut up about Jesus. I love what Peter and John say. They say, we can't keep quiet about the things we've seen and heard. Our mission, our God-given mission is to witness is to show and tell what God has done. To show, meaning to demonstrate what the Lord is doing. To live it out and to tell, to actually open our mouths, to proclaim His goodness, His grace over people. We are called to witness. We live in such a way that those around you say, they've been with Jesus and they want the same for themselves. So we've got to have a common identity and we have a common mission. And last, we have a common rhythm. I couldn't think of another passage to share other than Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, think about this rhythm again, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, so they come to church not forsaken that assembly. But they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It was attractive, church. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we got some habits that the church had established as a part of their rhythm. They were devoted to belonging, just being together, sharing a meal being in one another's lives. They were committed to growing together in God's Word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the things that Jesus had said. 
They were devoted to prayer. They were a church on their knees. They knew it wasn't all about them. And they were devoted to serving one another and those around them. They didn't just serve one another. They served those who were not yet in their number. They didn't have a formal evangelism program. They just lived it out. They loved people in the name of Jesus. And as they lived out that mission, people were attracted to Christ, and they wanted to have a seat at that dinner table. And in so doing, it says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And it's important to note again that this was not, this rhythm was not just a Sunday morning thing. It was happening throughout the week. We've got to be innovative about how we connect as a body outside of this place. People had everything in common, you know. And we ask ourselves, is that even possible today? Is this just pie-in-the-sky theology, this Acts 2, 42 to 47 business? Can we even do that today? I mean, 2016 here in Montgomery, Alabama, it's just such a different world. Is that? Yes, it is. It's essential and it's critical. And, and, and we may have to be creative about how we do it, but we have to. You might say, well, that's Bible times. These are Bible times. Bible things are happening today. Amen. It's happening. So what keeps us from grasping our identity, embracing our mission, living in rhythm? We are meant to as the people of God. I want to give you four takeaways as we're wrapping up. Just kind of that kind of application. These are just things the Lord downloaded to me. Things You might really, one or two, maybe all these may really resonate with you. These are some things that, that we may... Con- can do as we leave this place. One is we've got to create some margin in our lives and our schedule. And this is the part of the sermon I don't need to be preaching because I'm as busy as they come. But guys, busyness is maybe the largest threat to connected Christian community in our city and our world today. When we're too busy, we can't be together. I love this. Where there is no margin, there is no ministry. A lot of us just aren't involved in ministry and touching one another's lives and community because everything is taken up. We're doing too many things. And honestly, we're too busy because we're putting priority on lesser things. Not bad things, just lesser things at the expense of the church becoming stronger. So we want to create margin. Secondly, accept no substitutes. Everybody wants community. That resonates with everybody. Look at the popularity of the, uh, the TV show... Uh, cheers. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Look at the popularity of Friends and, and Seinfeld. It was a, they said it was a show about nothing, but it was a show about something. It was a show about community and the friendships that they, people enjoyed. And they were just dropping in each other's apartments unannounced. Maybe we need some more Kramers in the church. I don't know. But that community, we can't accept any substitutes. We're looking for community in all the wrong places sometimes. And today I'm going to pick on one in particular, and it's not an evil thing, but I'm going to say this. Social media is a counterfeit community. And the technology that is such a wonderful thing that a lot of us are blessed by, it it can ruin connection. Too many of us make social media the hub for all of our relationships. I believe we're missing out on what God really meant when He created us for community. One, one preacher in his book, Hashtag Struggles, a book I'd recommend got by a guy named Craig Rochelle, said, use social media to facilitate, not replace, real relationships. And he says we should maximize all that technology offers to help strengthen 
our friendships and relationships. But we must remind ourselves that the best relationships are not those who are limited to looking at a screen, but those that involve loving a person in person. It reminds me of the passage in Exodus 33 when you've got the tent of meeting, that place where Moses would enter to, to speak with God. And all the people would wait until Moses was done speaking with God, and, he would, and Moses would relay the message. But the Word says that, that Moses would go into the tent of meeting, and he would, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a friend does to a friend. That's the kind of intimacy and connection, that face-to-face connection that we have to pursue to be a connected community. So tweet away. I'm not anti. I've got a smartphone. I've got a Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, everything. Tweet away. Text your friends. Post what you're eating, I guess. You're into that. Slam the other football team, whatever. But make time for dinner. Invite people over. Prepare a meal and take it to them. Call them instead of texting them. Have coffee. Take a long walk with your spouse. Put the phone down. Number three, focus on others. I know this sounds too simplistic and obvious. I almost didn't include it. But it's something we're just struggling with. It's something that I don't do often enough. We've got to focus on others. We often spend time in, engage in activities, invest in relationships that only serve us. But to be the connected church, we have to deny self. And this all comes back to our thinking about the church as a, as a people versus the church as a building. Here's my point. If, if, church, if you're just going to see church as something that you come to, then it's very easy to make it all about you and your preferences. If you're going to carve out time in your week to come to 1800 House Young Boulevard, it better be something that benefits you. That's easy to fall into that mindset and that trap. But if you're committed to being the church then it requires us to deny self. Philippians 2.4 says, In humility, value others. He's talking to the church. Above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. And the last takeaway is, we need connectors. Be a connector. I'm called to this. I guess I'm a connections minister. That's my title. But it's not a professional position. It's something we're all called to, to be a connector. In his national bestseller, The Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell popularized this term, connector, uh, to refer to people that had a special gift of kind of bringing the world together. He says that connectors are the people that draw the group together, and they initiate relationships, and they facilitate the gatherings that lead to community formation. He suggests that while most of us are busily choosing whom we would like to know, and rejecting the people that don't quite look right, connectors like them all. I would suggest today, I would put forward to you that to be the church, to form biblical community, we need more connectors. And guys, those are just simply friendly people. They want to see people the way Jesus sees people. They want to love people the way that Jesus loved people. They want to connect people to God. They have a ministry of reconciliation. They want to Connect people to one another. We need more people connecting others. And not just coming to church for what's in it for us. So, show hospitality. Work for racial reconciliation. Befriend. Host dinner parties with people different than you. Introduce people to one another. Take care of people. 
go to that last slide. When it comes to church, all too often we start with me. What's in it for me? How can I be blessed? So we've got to flip the script. We've got to start with who is God? What is he doing? And from there, we don't move to, to me and I and myself. We move to we as the body of Christ. How do we fit in with the story of God? And then we ask, now, how can I be a part? How can I contribute? Who am I in Christ? And we can say, I belong to the body of Christ. I have a seat at the table. I have a purpose bigger than myself. If you would, as we wrap up, watch this video, a very, very short video. It wraps up what we've been talking about today. It says, go and be the church. We're going to offer a, an invitation, and there are lots of ways to respond to this message today. Perhaps you're out there, you're out there and, and, and you've, you've just been kind of playing church, just kind of doing church, coming to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, but not really being the church, not really investing in our identity and mission and rhythm. And maybe you need prayers of the church to help you with that. Maybe you, when it comes to church, you don't even like the word. You're so disappointed and you've become so jaded and disillusioned by, by the church. And if that's you, man, we want to, I want to say, we're, I'm sorry. I ask your forgiveness. But I don't want to let you off the hook and say, oh, that's just not for you because it is for you. When it comes to the church, there may be a lot of ways to respond. Maybe you want to belong today. Maybe you want to be counted among those who are saved and put on salvation in, in the beautiful waters of baptism. I don't know what it is, but whatever your needs are, it's a responding church. We do stuff with the Word. We do stuff with what God's imparted to us. So we're going to stand and sing, and if you have any need at all, I want to ask you to come and respond as we sing.